you've missed any of the messages in this series or you want to go back and watch them again, you can check them out on hammockstreetchurch.com website. Uh, just click on the sermons tab or the messages tab. Or go to YouTube and look for Hammock Street Church. You'll find us there. But I want to get started this morning by taking a moment to review the entire series as we kind of land this plane today. We began the series by recognizing that everybody, everybody is invited to follow Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter who you know, no matter who you don't know, no matter how much church you have had, no matter how little church you have had, it doesn't matter. It is an open invitation at whatever stage of life you happen to be in to begin the process of following Jesus. Then secondly, we noted that following Jesus is an invitation to a relationship. It's not an invitation to go to church, just so you know. It's not an invitation to become part of and to practice a religion. And a lot of people have a hard time with that, but that is the truth. It's not an invitation to know the things you should do and you shouldn't do. It's not an invitation to a list that you have to keep up with, that you have to check boxes on. It's really an invitation to a personal relationship with an invisible God who revealed himself through his son, who was a visible person. He was the Lord, Jesus Christ. And when you hear us talking about leading people into a relationship with Jesus, that really is what we're here to do. Because that's what the church is. Remember, it, the word in the Greek is the ecclesia, which is a community. It's an it's a insular community. It's a called out community, a community that's called away from the rest of the world. It's quite relational. Third, we saw the fact that being a sinner is actually a prerequisite to joining. If, if you don't know that you're a sinner, you're going to have a hard time understanding what it means to follow Jesus. So if you think, I can't follow because you don't know what I've done, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard that over the years, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. We've discovered that in this series. Everybody in the first century was a sinner, and some of them were really, really notorious sinners. And then Maybe best of all, we learned that having doubts, so if you have doubts, that's actually a prerequisite. God is not looking for just drones and automatons who come in and go, yes, sir, we'll do whatever you say. No, you, you're supposed to question. You're allowed to have doubts. Even Jesus' first century followers, those guys who ate with him, who traveled with him, who followed him, who actually witnessed firsthand, they witnessed the miracles, they had doubts right up to the very end. So doubts are something you're going to have. Bring your doubts with you. You can begin to follow Jesus if you still have questions. Don't think that you have to know all this stuff before you can follow Jesus. I got news for you. You'll study it for 30 or 40 years and you still won't know all the stuff. There's lots and lots of stuff. When I was studying for my ordination exam, I'll tell you what, it was about 10 times harder than studying for the bar exam. The bar exam had a limit. There was a limit to how much you had to know. This, there's, it's limitless what you can understand and know about the Bible and Jesus. And then we said, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to know where he's taking us. And we saw that Jesus wants to take us to the place where we have an overwhelming sense of faith. Specifically, we have a faith that overwhelms and overcomes any fear that we might have. After Jesus reminded his disciples that people who follow Jesus needn't fear because God knows us and God cares for us and God wants to lead us to a confidence in him that allows us to overcome all circumstances, 
it gives us the opportunity and the ability to go through fearful circumstances without giving in to fear. It doesn't say without fearing, but giving in to that fear. That's where Jesus led us. Then we talked about how all Jesus followers are supposed to dress alike. Remember we talked about that? And we learned exactly how to do that by way of chick, flick, P, G. Put on these things, compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, love, kindness again, because we needed the K. You should always have a little bit more kindness, patience, and goodness. Then we talked about the fact that eventually following Jesus is going to cost you something. But you don't need to fear that. Because in the moment when you have to say no to yourself in order to follow Jesus, you're going to discover something wonderful about yourself. And you're going to discover something even more wonderful about your heavenly father. You're going to discover whose you really are, to whom you really belong. And then last week, we said that followers are great leaders. And Jesus defined for us what it meant to be a great leader. A great leader is somebody who leverages their authority for the sake of the people under their authority. So that's the first seven parts of the Follow series. Again, please go back and review one or more of the messages if you like. Now, I wanted to tell you all of that and do all that to lead us into this final episode, this final installment of this series. So today we're going to end on a very important question. And it's a question that I think will impact every single one of us. So I think it's safe to say every person in their journey to follow Jesus will at some point along the way be tempted to hit the unfollow button. But before you unfollow Jesus, you need to ask yourself a question. A question that comes from a conversation between Jesus and his closest followers. So I want to set up the story first, and then we'll go into John's gospel in John chapter 6, and we'll figure out what's going on. All right? Sound good? Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together here this morning. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to take a look at your word, to understand what transpired, to understand what it means for us, and to help us to draw closer to you. So God, as we continue on this morning, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds so that this message that we receive can become part of us. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the scene. Jesus had just finished uh, feeding the 5,000, okay, so the, the loaves and the fish, the five loaves and, and two fish, which, by the way, is kind of cool. That adds up to seven, and seven's that number you see in the Bible all the time. It's kind of one of those numbers of completion and all that, so it's kind of cool. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the story, right? You know the story of the loaves and fish. But so that's what happened. So this is what we're coming off of. So Jesus just did this miracle and fed all these people with so little food. And the crowd was amazed, as would we all be. They were so amazed, in fact, that here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make Jesus the king. And his disciples wanted to make him the king, too. Because as we talked about during the series, if Jesus was to become king, they, his followers, would become very important people. They would be aligned with the king, okay? So they would become important because of their proximity to Jesus as king. So instead of allowing people to proclaim him as king of the Jews, Jesus hopped on a boat. Like he wanted no part of the politics. He didn't want to become a political leader. He wanted 
something entirely different. So they're all clamoring for Jesus. We want you to be the king. We want you to be the king. Take care of these Romans. And Jesus, Jesus hopped on a boat and he headed across the Sea of Galilee because he wanted to escape that crowd who wanted him to be king. And they ended up in a place called Capernaum. So if you look at the map, Capernaum's sort of at the top of the lake, uh, the, the Sea of Gennesaret. So you see it up there. That's the Sea of Galilee, also known as. And so there's Capernaum up there. It's kind of Jesus' hometown uh, in a way. So that's where he ends up. And now some of the people who participated in that miracle of the loaves and fish went with Jesus or showed up with Jesus in Capernaum. And before long, even though he kind of went there to escape, word got out and people started crowding in. They started crowding into the synagogue where Jesus was teaching. That was part of his practice is he would go to the synagogue where all the religious people would gather and he would begin teaching there. And so when they got there, they began to call out to Jesus and they asked him to perform another miracle. Everybody wants to you know, see the miracles. Now, Jesus recognized that these were some of the people that he had fed in the crowd in that 5,000, which by the way, it's 5,000 men, which meant it was probably 10,000 when you add wives and women, probably more when you add children. So this is, this is really quite a miracle. So Jesus recognized that these people were there, so he decided to use this as a teachable moment. And just as he'd fed them actual bread before, he began to use bread as an analogy, sort of to say, look, just like I fed you bread, literal bread, and now you're hungry again, did you know that God will provide something for your soul? God will provide something for your spirit. God will provide something for your heart that will fill you up forever. So that's sort of Jesus giving us that bread that we would never hunger again because, of course, we would have God in our hearts. And then Jesus, comparing himself to bread, said this, and this is in John chapter 6, verse 51. If you have a Bible, feel free to open up or app or whatever you like or look on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now, let's just take a, take a beat here because this is, this is important. This is a radical statement that's hard for us to understand, especially if you've been in church for a while because we've heard this over and over again. But this is a radical statement. See, Jesus was not not what the Jews were expecting in terms of their Messiah. It's interesting in today's world, of course, we live in a very Jewish community, that the Jewish people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah because he's not the Messiah they expected. This isn't what Jesus was, this isn't what the Messiah was that they were expecting. See, to begin, Jesus wasn't from the right town. Like, he didn't come from a prominent place. He went from New York or Paris or Berlin or even, or even Jerusalem. He, he was... He was not from a center of scholarship. He was from Bethlehem. He was from Bethlehem. That's a backwater town. That's a backwater town in a far-flung region of the Galilee. And also, Jesus wasn't a known religious leader. We have a lot of known religious leaders we talk about in, in public and all that. He wasn't one of those. He didn't have a deep and impressive resume. He didn't go to Harvard Divinity School or something. He didn't have all of that. The next thing is, he didn't come from a prominent religious family. There's a lot of, in the Jewish sages, they all seem to come from prominent parents. He was Mary and Joseph's kid. I mean, they knew Mary and Joseph. Well, that's Joseph, the builder. That's, that's Mary. There was that question when they got married. That's kind of weird. They know, the people knew that Mary and Joseph weren't from heaven. And this caused a little tension in the crowd. But Jesus was undaunted, so he doubles down on saying that he's bread, and here's what he says 
next, whoever eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus just said, I'm bread. And then he said, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And then he goes on to clarify, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. We skip ahead a few verses. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. We just celebrated communion this morning, which makes this apropos. Now, if you think that that sounds like a strange thing to say, even though our culture has been hearing about it for 2,000 years already, imagine how strange it must have sounded to them. They never heard anything like this. And you have to imagine that the people in the crowd were probably murmuring to, you know, a little elbow here. He just say what I think you said? Did, did you hear what he, did you really, do you do that when you're watching Netflix and you're kind of not really watching, you're kind of on your computer or on your iPad or you're doing something and you hear something on the show and you go, wait, stop, run that back. What did he just say? Well, they couldn't run this back, but they were going, did he, did he just say? My, my flesh, eat my flesh, drink my blood? And anyway, I, I'm, I'm suspecting that apostles were sitting there and they're watching and they're listening and they gotta be going, boss, you could, you read the room. Like seriously, they, are, they wanna proclaim you king. Just don't mess this up. Don't say anything that's gonna mess this up. You are, you are on track, man. But John tells us that upon hearing this sort of strange sermon, there was a buzz that arose among the many followers of Jesus. So we keep going to verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You, you can also read, or who can, who can accept it? You can also read, who wants to be associated with this? This is a hard teaching. Do you want to be associated with something like this? With the eating body and drinking blood and all that stuff? See, this points to the fact that the crowd was beginning to turn on Jesus. They were so supportive of him. They just thought they're going to raise him up to king and they get rid of these pesky Romans and that would be the end of it. But they, they started, the crowd started to turn and the disciples noticed. Remember how we talked about the way that James and John wanted to be the big shots? Let me sit on your right. Let him sit on your left. And Jesus' new administration is king. Well, this comment had to have bothered them a little bit. Like they want to be the left and right hand and now they're going to I mean, it's easy to imagine they were sitting there going, I don't think we're going to have this opportunity. I think our power is going to kind of slip away. And I'm sure they wish they could have pulled Jesus aside and kind of whispered in his ear, hey, boss, you, you, you want to tone that down a little bit? That'd be great. If you just, no, no more weird stuff, okay? But then he goes all in with my flesh is food and my body is drink. And they probably felt like, oh, we got to go. Like, they probably felt like getting out of the room right there. And then, of course, there is the issue of persecution that Jesus' rhetoric was inviting. See, it's safe to say that the disciples felt like Jesus was losing the crowd. And, and if he lost the crowd, the Pharisees were right there to pounce and they would go for Jesus and then they would come after Jesus' followers next. Of course, the disciples didn't say any of these things, but that's probably what they were thinking. It's not a hard stretch to believe that. And Jesus knew that. And here's how we know that's what they were thinking. Because in the next verse, in verse 61, here's what it says. John writes, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And by that, Jesus meant, guys, does this trip you up? Is, it, is this too much? And then John responds to that. Here's what he wrote. 
From this time, many of his disciples, now here disciples doesn't mean the 12. Disciples means the people that were following him, the crowds here. So many of his disciples turned back and did what? They unfollowed him. This was a pivot point in Jesus's ministry. They unfollowed him. Now you youngins think you invented the practice of unfollowing, but you did not, right? It's right here 2,000 years ago. They unfollowed Jesus. They were like, all right, we love the miracles. We love the healing. We really love the thought that you might proclaim yourself king over the Romans and we can take care of those pesky people once and for all. But, but this thing, how you came from heaven and you're the bread of life and eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, we're not going there. That's just too weird for us. We're done. We're unfollowing you, Jesus. And they got up and left. And the disciples, the 12, were watching this whole thing play out, as we'll see in a few minutes, and they're probably starting to think, huh, should we do that too? Should we unfollow Jesus too? Like, things are getting weird. And it doesn't look like it's going all that well for Jesus right now, and maybe it won't go all that well for us in just a few minutes, and and maybe we should just sort of back into the crowd, just disappear. But of course, Jesus knows the hearts of men. And he paused this little sermon and he turns to the 12 and here's what he says. You don't want to leave too, do you? He says to his disciples, you're not going to unfollow me also, are you? Now the 12 knew he can't lie to Jesus. You can't make stuff up. He knows people's hearts. He knows what people are thinking. And the unfollowing question really is relevant to us too, right? Because we think about it all the time. Because regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, the day's going to come when you're going to consider unfollowing him. Now, it often occurs during a time of transition, when you're transitioning from one thing to another. We see it a lot when kids go from high school to college. You get to start over in a new place, and you get out of your routine of youth group and coming to church with your parents and all this stuff. So we see that. We see transitions happen from college to a first job or from high school to a first job. You were one way when you were in high school. You were one way when you were in college, but now you have a new job, all new people. Nobody knows you. There's an unfollow that takes place there oftentimes. We see it actually when people move. When a job takes you from Boston to Boca, you, okay, new people. They don't know who I am. I can be someone else. It often occurs when you're moving from a place that everybody knows you as a Jesus follower to a place where You didn't know anybody, and no one seems to care what you are, one way or the other. It's not that they're against Jesus, it's just that they don't care. And suddenly you're surrounded by people who don't believe what you believe. And those transition times are times that we're going to be tempted to unfollow. But note this, it's interesting, and statistics show us this, you're most likely not going to be tempted to unfollow because just you stop thinking that the things you've learned about Jesus are true. It's very rare that you just get to a place where you go, just without any other input, nah, it's not true anymore, I'm done. It happens, but it's rare. It's much more common for people to quit because following Jesus can be difficult. Following Jesus can be inconvenient, and oftentimes following Jesus can leave you isolated. Or or because following Jesus just doesn't seem to matter in your new context. Sometimes that's why people quit. Sometimes people quit when they want to enter into a new relationship. Well, she doesn't believe in Jesus, but there's no one else like her. I think I'm going to go there. He doesn't believe in Jesus, but oh my gosh, I think I'm going to maybe walk away. Sometimes people see what they want, and if following Jesus is going to get in the way, well, Jesus gets kicked to the curb. Following Jesus just gets too difficult. It gets too inconvenient. 
Alternatively, some people become unfollowers when they're going through a hard time. And we see this a lot. People have prayed and prayed, oh God, please, and oh God, help, and oh God, do this. And God doesn't seem to be answering their prayer at all. And even though they always believed, believing doesn't seem to be working for them anymore. And in fact, it becomes very frustrating for them because God is quiet. And they thought, if I just obey, you're going to work things out the way I want them to work out, God. And that's not the way it happens. So when one is obeyed and things aren't working out, they can start to think, hmm, why am I doing this? Why am I even hanging on to this? Why am I even saying these prayers? I mean, God isn't faithful to me. Why would I be faithful to God? But it's like Jesus knowing that. Read your heart and he reads your mind because here you are. You're here at church today and you're thinking, how did Jesus know? Is Jesus looking at me and is he wondering, are you going to leave me too? I get that. See, you guys, most of you know, I came to faith later in life. I became a Jesus follower after a lot of stuff, after I'd finished all my education, after I'd passed the bar exam, after I'd gotten the job that I always wanted in the career I'd worked for my entire life. It was after a conversation with a coworker about the source of joy in his life that I prayed that prayer, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And God, I want to turn from the way that I was, and I want to turn to you. I want to give you my heart. I want to follow you with my life forever. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. But when I did that, I really didn't understand what else it meant. I didn't understand what was there for me beyond that. I hadn't really thought the whole thing through. And quite frankly, I wouldn't have known what to think if I'd have tried. I didn't know. I didn't know any other Christians that I knew of. And I didn't know that God has called his followers to a different kind of life. So after I promised Jesus that I'd follow him with my life, when I was asked to join some other lawyers on a weekend fishing trip to the Bahamas... I'd learned that some of the activities in which they were planning on participating were not the kinds of things that followers of Jesus should do. And it was then that I realized that following Jesus is going to make a difference. Following Jesus is going to impact my life. It's going to change my lifestyle. I hadn't considered that before. I had a moment when I questioned my decision to follow Jesus. I thought, should I unfollow him? I mean, I'm trying to impress these lawyers. I hope to be their partner one day. I don't want them to think I'm some kind of religious nut or something like that. I was thinking, is this following Jesus thing going to cost me? Is it going to cost me my partnership? Is it going to cost me more than that? Is it worth it? But then I thought, you know, I made God a promise. I didn't want to break it so soon. So I took a deep breath and I pledged to God, I'm going to do what I have to do at work, but I'm going to stay faithful. And I'm going to deal with whatever my commitment to you means for my career. How did that work out? Well, I'm here. So I guess my faith paid off. God knew what he was doing. And I wouldn't change a thing, not one thing looking back. I'm so glad that I didn't unfollow. And you want to know something? You're going to have a moment like that also. Some of you have already had a couple of those moments in your life. Some of you have had more than a couple. And others of you, you don't know it yet, but you're about to face that moment. Jesus' disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, all the guys who were close to Jesus had a moment where they thought, you know what, we're going to unfollow 
also. It's too hard and it's too costly. We could lose our lives if we continue to follow. And I'm guessing they talked about it among themselves because that's what guys do, friends do, or at least they wanted to talk about it among themselves. They, they were only human. I mean, of course they wanted to. How could they not want to at least consider it? And it was in that moment, this is a really cool, this is really cool how that plays out in this gospel, that Peter, remember Peter? Peter made so many mistakes. He did so many dopey things. He said so many dopey things. But Peter does something brilliant here. He says something brilliant here. So he pipes up and asks the question that each one of us should memorize and make our own. We should, we should weave this question into the fabric of our very being as Jesus' followers so that the next time we're facing a big transition or a powerful, overwhelming temptation and we're starting to feel like it's just too difficult to keep on following Jesus and missing out on all the, all the stuff when we find ourselves drifting toward unfollowing and, and playing the game that the world seems to insist we play, you got to come back to this question that we get from Peter. So here's the question, verse 68. Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? When Jesus asked them, you guys don't want to leave me too, do you? Peter answered, well, to be honest, yeah, we do. We'd rather do the easy thing and leave. But seriously, Jesus, who are we going to go to? Where else are we going to go? It was here that Peter recognizes something that most people don't see until it's too late. You see, when you choose not to follow Jesus, you're choosing to follow something else. You're choosing to follow someone else. So Peter asked the question, if not you, then who? Peter recognized that, listen, if I turn away from you, Lord, by definition, I am turning to someone or something else. Jesus, if I say no to you, I'm actually saying yes to something or someone else. But I've considered all my options. And while no, Jesus, this isn't comfortable. And yes, Jesus, I do want to go. And no, Jesus, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. And yes, Jesus, I wish it wasn't the way it is. The truth is, Jesus, to whom shall I go? Where am I going to go? See, Peter recognized that the crux of the issue that they faced, and this is our issue too, is... Where are you going to go other than Jesus? It's the issue for some of you right here today, this very minute, because it is hard to follow Jesus. And it's inconvenient to follow Jesus. And most of the time, there's no immediate payoff in following Jesus. Nobody is coming up after you make a great decision and putting their arm around you and going, you're a Christian and you're great for sticking up for what you believe. And I want you to know I respect that attaboy. Like you're not getting that kind of encouragement. Nobody's doing that. In fact, it's even worse than that. Most people will just ignore it. They'll just ignore what you're doing. It seems to them to be completely irrelevant. And that, that can motivate you to get out. That can motivate you to tap out. Well, no one's too impressed by this. I'm not hearing from God, so I'm just going to forget the whole thing and walk away. But Peter would say that before you walk away, you ought to consider your actual options. Because when you unfollow Jesus, you're choosing to follow something or someone else. Now let's take a moment to get a sense of Peter's thought process in arriving at this conclusion. We can find that in his words. So this is interesting. You don't know all this stuff is there, but here it is. So we'll continue in this verse. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? And here he says, you have the words of eternal life. In making his decision not to unfollow Jesus, Peter went back to when he was called. 
Remember, when he was called, he was at work and he was fishing with his father. And then Jesus walks up and invites Peter into this great adventure. Jesus invited Peter into this life that had more purpose than he'd ever had before. Was he supposed to receive that invitation and go, nah, no thanks, I'm gonna go back to my fishing. I mean, was he supposed to do that? See, Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to live for something much larger than himself, much larger than his finite life, his life that would end one day. And that caused Peter to look at Jesus and think, you've invited us into something so much bigger than anything we'd have done on our own. You have the words of eternal life. Now, this revelation of Peter's is very relevant for us. If you are a Jesus follower, you've been invited into something much more grand and glorious than our otherwise insignificant lives. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm saying without Jesus, our lives, our lives, my life, your life, they're insignificant. With limited exceptions, no one is going to be talking about us in a few generations in the future. Now, is that a bold statement? Maybe. Let's test it. I always like to test statements. If you can, stop by after the message this morning. You'll meet me over here and tell me all the great things you know about your great-great-grandparents. Tell me all the great stuff. Now, some of you might have a few things to tell me. I can't do it. I don't, I don't have a clue. And sure, we think we're all that right now, but how long after we're gone do you think that'll be the case? I don't know about you guys, but my glory is not worth living for. And I suspect if you're being honest, you'd have to say the same. But as followers of Jesus, we've been invited into this grand and glorious narrative that began with creation, was magnified when Jesus died for the sins of the world. And when we determined to follow Jesus, we became co-laborers. We get to work with God. We're privileged to follow the Savior of the world. Who are you going to follow if you're not going to follow Jesus? What are you going to do if you don't do that? Do you think that there's anything so satisfying in this life that you would look back and say, I am so glad I quit following the Savior of the world? In order to what? For Peter, in order to catch more fish? Eh, I'm done with you, Jesus. I'm going to go catch some more fish. So when I get to my deathbed, I can go, how many fish did you catch? Thousands, right? In order to do the bidding of the Romans? Like, that's what you want to do? You want to unfollow so you can do the bidding of lesser people? Jesus has the words of eternal life. And we, as his people, we get to tap into that. We get to partner in that work that the eternal God is doing right here in our midst. Anything less than that is just less. When you unfollow Jesus, you're simply not doing life at the highest and best level. And here's what Peter knew and, and what I think most of us believe. When you unfollow Jesus, there's going to come a day that you wish you could come back and refollow Jesus. You're going to wish you can do that, but you might not be able to. We cannot predict what happens in the future. And it's as if Peter knew. So here's what he says next in verse 69. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, what he's saying is we've seen too much, Lord, to ever go back to the way that we were. And anyway, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? That's a great question because it allows us to avoid having a season in our life that we wish we could go back and relive and do differently. 
It's the question that will allow us to avoid unnecessary regret. It's the question that if we just pause and ask it in the middle of that difficult transition or in the middle of a tough temptation or in the middle of a trial that just seems to want to take us out, we wouldn't even hesitate to ask, Jesus, if not you, then who? If not Christianity, then what? Before you do anything, you owe it to yourself to answer that question. If not Jesus, then who? If not Christianity, then what? Is anybody else offering you eternal life? Is anybody else inviting you into a narrative that's bigger than your life? Are you going to be able to connect to anything else that has eternal consequences? And isn't it true by this point in your life that you've seen enough and you've experienced enough to already know you're going to wish you could come back to the day you decided to unfollow and change that decision? Change that decision to follow Jesus or not to follow Jesus? To whom shall we go? That's the question. Transition, temptation, and trouble always create questions. And that's okay. Because it's in times of transition, temptation, and trouble that we've questioned where is God? Or why would God allow this to happen? Or why didn't God come through for me? There's always gonna be those days. There will always be questions like that, and that is fine. God is okay with those questions. But it's always a mistake to step away from Jesus. Just because there are questions that you don't have answers to. It's always a mistake, no matter what. Just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. It means you don't know the answer yet. Don't forget this. In every transition, there are questions. During every temptation, there are questions. During every trial that you're going through, there are questions. And that's fine. Just don't walk away from Jesus simply because you don't have the answer to a question. And that's why this question is so important. If not you, who? If not Jesus, who? To whom shall we go? You don't know? Then don't move until you do. If not Christianity, then what? You don't know? Don't make a move until you do know. To whom shall I go? And so years ago, I was considering for the first time, did I really mean it when I said I would follow Jesus with my life no matter what? Or was, was I going to bail? Was I going to walk away at the first temptation to do so? Was I going to let that situation, or any situation that would arise in the future, caused me to unfollow Jesus, I decided I wasn't going to. And I didn't. And I'm so grateful that I didn't. And you'll be grateful too. You've seen too much. You know too much. And you know, you don't know how you know, but you know. You got all that? that there will be a season in your life when you're willing to give everything to come back and follow him again because he has the words of eternal life and you believed and you understood that Jesus is God's Messiah and the Savior of the world. To whom shall I go? If not Jesus, who? Don't make a move until you can answer that question. If not Christianity, then what? Don't make a move until you can answer that question. Because when you refuse or when you choose to unfollow Jesus, you're making a decision to follow something or someone else. And you owe it to yourself to know the answer to that question before you choose to unfollow. To whom shall I go? For you have the words of eternal life. 
I've seen too much. I've believed and I've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Jesus will cost you something. But refusing to follow Jesus could cost you everything. To whom shall you go? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series and thank you for helping us understand what it means to be followers of Jesus. God, as we're sitting here today, I'm sure that there are some who are feeling that desire to unfollow. Something's going on. There's a change. We get to remake ourselves, whatever it is. But God, allow us to have that patient moment, that quiet moment where we really give thought to the question, to whom shall we go? Who else is offering eternal life? God, we're humbled by the fact that you would use us, even though you know us. God, we're excited to see how you will continue to work in our lives. And God, we continue to lean on you, even though we don't know all the answers. We love you, God. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.